0: Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you now, Lord, humbled by your greatness. Lord, we love you for who you are. Lord, we love because you first loved us. And so, Lord, we just come with hearts of gladness and hope in love because, Lord, you are doing a new work in each of your people. We thank you for this place, Lord, that we can meet here openly and freely without fear for our lives, without fear of the persecution that takes place for so many of our brothers and sisters around the world. And while, Lord, we don't yet face this level of persecution here in the United States, God, our hearts are far from you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would ignite just a fire for you, Lord. Lord, that our lukewarmness, our cold hearts, our hard hearts, Lord, would just, Lord, that you would just have your way. Lord, we ask that this revival start in the household of God, Lord, that your doors of your churches would just be, be bursting open. And Lord, that so many people would just lay aside the cares and concerns and the things of this world, Lord, and follow you. Lord, they would cry out and ask you, Lord, to be their Lord and Savior. And Lord, as we pray for just this work of revival that truly is supernatural and only comes from the Holy Spirit, Lord, we also pray for our brothers and sisters in the Maldives. Lord, they face severe persecution. Or they have to hide and it's difficult, Lord, to be a light and a witness in that kind of an environment, Lord. But yet your word still does not return void. Your word still goes forth. And Lord, man cannot stop you from accomplishing what you would accomplish, Lord. So thank you for just giving our brothers and sisters the strength, Lord, to stand with you and to be a light and a witness in such a dark place. Lord, we pray that it's through this love, through the compassion that's displayed, Lord, that those that persecute would be drawn to you. And Lord, they would set aside these things, Lord, recognize that what they do is, is wrong. And Lord, that they would ask you and cry out to you, asking you then to be your Lord and Savior. So Lord, we just uh, pray for these things, knowing that, Lord, you, you have the same desire. And Lord, so we just pray that your will is done in all these things. And Lord, we thank you that we can bring these things before you. Thank you that when we cry out to you, Lord, you hear and answer prayers. And we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. You may be seated. So, where to begin our journey this morning? There's a lot of places that we can start You know, an exercise that will kind of help us get our eyes set on the things that uh, we're going to talk about and really kind of talk about who God is. Around the holidays, you know, it's always a good idea to kind of sit back and think about and reflect on just the provision of our Lord and Savior. To think about the things that He's accomplished, the miracles that we've seen Healings that we've seen, the restoration and relationships that you've seen, Lord, the, the prodigals that come home. But we also, in another way, celebrate other things. We, um, when I worked in corporate America, I know some of you are still participating in this, and oh, what fun it is. <laughs> we, uh, you know, part of our end of year kind of custom is to have a a department wide party where each of the teams talk about how certain goals were accomplished that, um, where imperatives were set forth by the, the executive level committee and then each team has a part to play in achieving those things. And, you know, we celebrate how well we performed against the expectation. I know, fun. The um, implementation of enhanced processes and procedures that save the company X amount of manpower and dollars, and um, you know, meeting our financial goals or exceeding those goals, you know, it's still stuff that makes running a department necessary. We celebrate the release of new platforms and IT infrastructure and systems that better uh, position our business to effectively and efficiently. I know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, when you think about in the grand scheme of things, these things aren't really important, but there's so much time and effort and, um, <laughs> and planning that, that goes into celebrating these things. Uh, we're not going to be talking about those things today. The, um, you know some, some folks have asked if I missed corporate America. What do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I do miss the people. The people, some of the people that I've met along the way have truly been great people. I miss the team and the teamwork. You know, I was uh, blessed to be able to lead certain people, certain teams. I was an individual contributor, part of a larger team, and you know, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about other people, and many of the skills that the Lord blessed me with, us with, collectively, we learn in those environments, um, and they work well in many respects with full-time ministry. So I am very thankful for my time there. Um, it was also a place that I could be a light and a witness that we can be the hands and feet of God uh, in those environments. You know, that is our missionary field. And so we thank the Lord for those opportunities to be his hands and feet. Uh, But we're actually not going to be talking about that either. And we're not going to be talking about the things that the Lord has blessed us with, really. The provision... um, you know we're not going to be talking about how thankful we are for our husbands and our wives and our children, although very thankful. And I know that we are all very thankful for our families, as these are blessings from God. Um, and quite the contrary, uh, you know, Philippians 4:19 tells us, "And my God shall supply all our need according to His riches." in glory by Christ Jesus. So to that we say, praise the Lord. We are very thankful for these things. But we're not going to be talking about that. (laughs) Um, You know, without the things that we will talk about, the things that we just mentioned aren't even possible. And so um, there's a lot of examples in the Bible, and that's where we're going to start. That's where we're going to finish. But we're only going to be able to cover a couple of these things tonight, or this, this, this morning. And if you hear something, or if you don't hear something that you truly believe should have been in this list, it's not that it's not important, it's not that it's not cared about, it's simply because there's so many things about God that we need to be thankful for, there just simply isn't enough time to talk about them all. And so we can privately seek the Lord and praise Him for these things that He does in our lives. And so in some of these areas we're going to look at, we're actually going to start in the book of Genesis. A good place to start is the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. If you need a Bible and or don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. We'll get one in your hand, and that will be your Bible to keep if you do not own one, before we open words God together, God's word together, um, let's go before the, the Lord in prayer and just ask Him to open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to what He has for us this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we once again come before you. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet. Your word gives us direction. Your word gives us correction. Your word gives us hope and gladness and strength. But we also learn humility. Your word is everything to us, Lord. And so we pray, Lord, now that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to what you have for us this morning. Lord, we don't take your word for granted. It is precious and sacred and powerful. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just speak to us individually. Lord, that we would hear exactly what you have for us. And that through your word, we would hit, you would hit many targets with the same dart. And so, Lord, just have your way with us now. That we would be transformed and leave this place more in love with you. Lord, more aligned to your will, that we would set aside the things of this world, Lord, and just follow you. If there's anybody here who doesn't know you, we pray that you would speak to them today, Lord, that they wouldn't leave this place without first confessing you and following you for the rest of their time here. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Genesis 1. When we read Genesis 1... What about this particular book gives us a sense of thanksgiving? When we read it, doesn't it just say that in the beginning God created these things, right? Well, no. Not right. Genesis starts off with the first two verses. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. How perfect is it that the Bible says this? In the beginning, God. We could stop right there and just praise the Lord that that's what it says. We could be thankful it doesn't say, in the beginning, a man or in the beginning, a goose, or some other part of creation. It says, in the beginning, God. I hate to think what our world would look like today if it didn't say God. We can also be thankful that in the beginning, we are introduced for the first time to the Holy Trinity. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God created. We see our Heavenly Father at work. The Spirit of God was hovering. We see the Holy Spirit there, present with Him. God said, and we see the Word Jesus Christ, our Savior, was there in the very beginning, speaking life into existence. We don't have to wait because God starts to reveal himself to us perfectly in the very beginning of creation. We see our triune God creating everything for his glory, including creating us. On the sixth day He makes man and says in reference to the things that he had created previous to man. And in man, he says, it is very good. Praise the Lord, God created man. And, praise the Lord, he created man in his own image. The Bible tells us this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. These are capital O's. Let them have dominion over the fish and the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We are made in the image of our triune God. Just as we resemble attributes of our earthly father, we share attributes of our heavenly father. And for that, we can be thankful for. We are made to commune with God, to have fellowship with God. How beautiful of a blessing is this? Next time someone asks you, Why are we created? That all important question, you can say, Well, I'm glad you asked. And then proceed to tell them, We're made image of our Heavenly Father and the Spirit and the Son, for communion, for fellowship, for his glory. You know, we're made in God's image. My son shares some of the same traits as I do, or that I have. Probably not all good. You're welcome for that. But we do share the same as our Heavenly Father, except that he is perfect. We are not, but he is perfect. And you see, God, in the beginning, he always was. He was already there. He is without beginning and end. We are finite, but he is infinite. And because God created, we can be sure that it is good. Now, looking a little ahead in the Bible... We see where the Israelites, God's people, were enslaved in Egypt. Obviously, a lot of things have taken place from creation to where we are here. We're not going to have time to read everything there. But we do see this. We see that God's people are now in slavery. Exodus 2, chapter 2, verses 23 through 25 says this. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. How wonderful is it that when God's people cry out to him, he hears. We're going to be in a lot of scripture this morning and reading it. Because it's important to hear what the actual word of God says about these things. And so, with this, God raises up this man, Moses. Moses goes... To Egypt. Now Moses was a man who didn't really offer anything. In fact, we know that he had an issue with speaking, even argued with God, saying, You got the wrong person. God said, Nope, you're gonna go. And so he was finally obedient and he went. And he went because God was gonna use him to lead his people out of bondage and into the promised land. And while they're on on this 40-year journey in the wilderness, they came to and camped before Mount Sinai. Now we know the story. Moses goes up, comes back down, sees the condition of, of the people, smashes the stone, goes back up. And this is where we get our Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. We know the Ten Commandments. But this is what we have to be thankful for. You see, the commandments are something that Without them, life would be a little interesting, and I'll explain why. Because we talk about the Ten Commandments and how they were given to Moses for the people to share. But Deuteronomy 9, verse 10 reminds us that the two tablets of stone that contain the commandments were written with the finger of God. Such a perfect gift for his people. And these commandments were given to us for a few reasons. First off, the Ten Commandments are commandments given by God for his people. So that alone should be enough. But the Ten Commandments are a guide. They're a moral compass to help us navigate life. Now, because we're made in the image of God we know more than we'd like to admit when it comes to conducting ourselves in an appropriate manner. Because before the law was introduced, people understood these things. It's not like we ran around lawless. We did, but we did so knowing that we were conducting ourselves this way. Because we knew the difference between right and wrong. We just chose not to care. Sure. But think about this. We belong to God, not the world. So we should conduct ourselves differently. And the commandments define these things, help us define these things. So the commandments, they also protect us. It serves to provide the boundaries in which we are to conduct ourselves, our lives, Boundaries are good. Contrary to popular belief, boundaries are good. We need them. Now, a lot of people will push and break boundaries and say that these things don't apply to me because they don't correspond with the way that I want to live my life. But this is the choice. And it's one of the many reasons why we have a lot of the issues that we see today. Because people don't want to be bound by the marriage commitment. And so families are torn apart and relationships are shattered. People don't want to be bound by the truth in God's creation. And so now, today, the earth is 4.5 billion years old. Everything exists because sometime in the past, nothing exploded. Our distant relatives walked out of the ocean, earth is flat, man can become a woman, a woman a man, and so on and so on. There's no end to the madness because bounds don't apply to so many people. So boundaries are absolutely necessary for people of God to act and behave like people of God. They protect us from going off the rails, from staying far off the path and for believing in the lie instead of God's truth. See, the Ten Commandments ground us and center us on the rock of Jesus Christ. And lastly, at least for what we're going to be talking about today, they show us how impossible... It is to complete any one of these things perfectly. They help us identify how flawed we are, how sinful of a people we are, how broken we are, how utterly lost we are, and how necessary it is for us to sit at the foot of Christ. They show us how in need of a Savior we really are. Especially the longer that we're saved, we see how sinful and wretched we really are. Because they begin to open our eyes to the great chasm that exists between us and God. And only is closed by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ because there is no other way. We see how much we need God's mercy and His grace. And with God's mercy and grace brings us to our next part of God's word that we need to be thankful for. And this is the birth of Jesus. Luke's account does a great job of telling us how some of these things came about. Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 26. Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God To a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph by the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, And considered what manner of greeting is this. This was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Don't you love this interaction between Mary and Gabriel? You see, Mary was scared. Not understanding what was happening, what was being asked, or even how this was even possible. And frankly, not looking to be used by God in this way. And really the only one to ever be used by God like this. And even when Gabriel explains a little more of what is going to be taking place, she still doesn't really comprehend the totality of what is being said or really her entire role and responsibility she will play. It doesn't occur to her then, at least not recorded here, what people may think of her, how they will judge her, Not even Joseph, the man that she's betrothed to. Her heart is this. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary is simply obedient and trusting in God. Even with the really small picture that she has, all she knows is that God has chosen her to use her for his purpose, and her response, Behold, here I am. Let it be according to what Gabriel has commanded. This is such an incredible display of faith and really encouraging for all to see this in God's written word. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria so all went to be registered everyone to his own city Joseph also went from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Here we see Jesus Christ, our Savior, King of kings, the high priest, the prophet, Lord and Savior of the world, the Lion of Judah and the Lamb. Born on the earth, he created to a woman who knew no man. He stepped out of glory into a sinful and fallen world who did not know him and had no place for him. Thank you, Jesus, for this perfect gift. We don't know much about Jesus' life when he was growing up. We know that as a young boy, Joseph and Mary were headed back from some festivals and Jesus wasn't with them. And they realized that and they went back and they found him. What are you doing? He says, don't you know I'm busy about my father's work? Not a typical thing a child would say. We don't know a lot about his childhood or his upbringing. But we do see Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels. The good news. For God so loved the world. We see Jesus in these And there's so much that's contained in these four books that we really can't even go to a lot of detail here. But one of the things that we see in the life of Jesus, specifically we see his three-year ministry. We see how he interacted with the disciples, with the people, and how he interacted with them regardless of who they were, where they were from, their background, or anything else. We see multiple examples of his servant leadership, including what we recently discussed a few Sundays ago as Pastor Tim was teaching and how Jesus demonstrated humility by insisting to wash the disciples' feet. Such a display of love and submission to the will of the Father. We have all the parables, the straight talk between Jesus and the disciples. We see prayers, the earth-shattering Sermon on the Mount. Really too many wonderful things to try and list here, but something we see towards the end, the very end of his ministry, after the upper room discourse, where we are now in our normal Sunday teachings in the book of John, when Jesus and the disciples went to the garden to pray. You see, Judas Iscariot had left earlier and came with the group to have Jesus arrested. Once arrested, Jesus was brought to the high priest's house first, then to the Sanhedrin, then Jesus was brought to Pontius Pilate, then to Herod, back to Pilate. And throughout this entire ordeal, Jesus was beaten, and he was mocked, and he was scourged, beyond recognition. Isaiah 52, 14 tells us, just as many were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was more beyond that of a man and his form beyond the son of mankind. I don't know how often we think about Jesus and what he went through for us How often do we contemplate what Jesus endured for us and in place of us? The pain that this man, and not just a man, our Savior, the pain that he endured. It's hard to think about these things. Isaiah 53:38 says he was despised and abandoned by men a man of great pain and familiar with sickness and like one from whom people hide their faces he was despised and we had no regard for him however it wasn't it was our sickness that he himself bore and our pain that he carried yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God and and humiliated but he was pierced for our offenses he was crushed for our wrongdoing the punishment for our well-being was laid upon him And by his wounds, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before the shearers, So he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. The oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the wrongdoing of my people to whom the blow was due. And his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth. You see, God, he made him to knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus stepped out of glory for, three, for 33 years to live as a man, fully a man, but still fully God. His ministry taught us so much and still is teaching us. He suffered and died for us instead of us. He died on a Roman cross for sins he willingly took in place of us. So we didn't have to. Not because we deserve anything or because we are owed anything. We didn't even know about these things. I don't know how much research you've ever done about The Roman crucifixion, it's one of the worst inventions known to man. Excruciating pain. Never mind the fact that the condition of Jesus' body before he was even put on that cross. In order to breathe the way that the Roman Empire would hang people on this cross with the nail-pierced hands and feet, you would have to use your feet to push up on these pegs sticking into the wood just to be able to breathe the right way. And so we know that as Jesus was communicating with the men on the cross, one that was in paradise with him, how much pain he suffered just for those words for that one soul but not just that one soul all of us yeah. if you've never read about the roman crucifixion if you do you begin to see just a little bit of what jesus endured for us he accomplished all he did on the cross because that is what our heavenly father knew was necessary if we were ever going to have any hope, because Jesus is our hope. Amen. And it really is too much to bear thinking about all that Jesus endured for us. But we should. We should yes. think about it and praise Him for all that He did for us. Amen. He paid a, a cost that we couldn't pay ourselves. Amen. Because this is what true love looks like, what true sacrifice looks like. We should think about this and all that it means and praise the Lord for making the only way. We should be glad and full of thanksgiving for His perfect love poured out like a drink offering. The Lamb of God to suffer and die so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Praise the Lord. Amen. Yes, but we can also praise the Lord that Jesus didn't stop there. Amen. The story doesn't end with the sacrifice because we don't worship a Savior that was. We worship a risen Savior that forever is. And after that display of love and power, the power to lay his life down, we see the power to raise his life up again displayed. Luke's account says this in Luke 24. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and a certain other women with them came to the tomb, bearing, bringing the spices that they had prepared. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of Jesus, James, James. And the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself what had happened. Matthew's account includes a little piece that as they were returning Jesus met them saying rejoice so they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him then Jesus said to them do not be afraid go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Matthew Henry, in his commentary regarding the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as he was looking at the book of Matthew, he said this. In the foregoing chapters, we saw the captain, capital C, the captain of our salvation, engage with the powers of the darkness, attacked by them, and vigorously attacking them. Victory seemed to hover between the combatants, nay, at length and inclined to the enemy's side and our champion fell before them. Behold God has delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. Christ in the grave is like the ark of Dagon, his temple. The power of darkness seemed to ride masters but then the Lord awoken and as one of the sleep and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine, with reference to Psalms 78, 61, and 65, the prince of our peace in this chapter, rallying again, coming out of the grave, a conqueror, yea, more than a conqueror, leading captivity captive. Though the ark be a prisoner, Dagon falls before it, and it proves that none is able to stand before the holy Lord God. Now, the resurrection of Christ being one of them foundations of religion, it is a requisite that we should have infallible proofs of it, four of which proofs we have in this chapter, which are but a few of many, like Luke and John, give a larger account of the proofs of Christ's resurrection than Matthew and Mark do here. The testimony of the angel of Christ's resurrection, his appearance himself to the women, the confession of the adversaries that were upon the guard, and Christ's appearance to the disciples in Galilee, and the commission he gave them. You see, oftentimes when we're faced with things, it looks like the enemy is winning. But God is always the victor. Jesus freely laid his life down in place of ours. It wouldn't have been possible otherwise. And he rose three days later and now sits on the right hand of the Father. First Peter chapter one, verses three through five says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of through the faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is what the Lord has done for us. But he still isn't done. You see, when he left this earth, he sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, to help us, to guide us. And this we can be thankful for. But also, we can be thankful That he's coming again. The Bible opens with God creating everything for his glory. And the Bible closes with a warning and a tremendous promise. Revelation chapter 22, 18 through 21 says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book, And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. I am coming quickly, we read. Chapter, or verse 20 says, And he who testifies to these things, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And this is how God's word closes. I am coming quickly. The bride is. Or the bridegroom is coming to collect his bride. We don't know when, but we can find rest and peace, knowing that nothing, absolutely nothing, can stop this or change it. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, The great doctrine of the second advent was, in a sense, fallen into the disrepute because of this tendency on the part of the sons to be more interested in the how and the when of the second coming rather than in the fact of the second coming. Don't get wrapped up in the how or the when. But just know that it's going to happen. We don't have to understand every aspect of this for us to have faith in it. For us to believe in it. It's like saying we we don't understand every part of how an engine works so therefore cars don't run. That's stupid. It is written in his word and his word is truth. And for this we can be thankful for. As we close today, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and lead us once again in a a song of worship. And as they make their way up, let us never forget who God is. We really didn't even begin to scratch the surface of the things that we can be thankful for. This was just a small taste. But really a great way to be thankful for God is not necessarily what he does, but just who he is. And he remains all these things, even in difficult seasons and situations that we find ourselves. And in fact, we can be thankful for the trials and tribulations. Because it brings us to a place where we can draw closer to our Lord and find strength in him. And walk or crawl, knowing that he is faithful. And we do this by reading his word and, and praying. First Thessalonians five, sixteen and eighteen says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Jesus in Christ Jesus for you. Always give thanks. Because he is deserving of our praise. Andrew Murray says, Let us thank God heartily as often as we pray that we have his spirit in us to teach us to pray. Thanksgiving will draw our hearts out to God and keep us engaged with Him. It will take our attention from ourselves and give the Spirit room in our hearts. You see, being thankful isn't a product of something else. It's not the result of one thing in place of another. It's a state of mind. It's a condition of our heart. This heart that was once broken and lost... But now is with, in unity with God. And not because of anything that we did. But just because of God and who he is. He is never ceasing, never changing. The same today, yesterday, and forever. Let this settle in our hearts. As we sing this last song of praise. And leave this place to face the day, the week, the challenges that may come. But let us always make room for the Spirit in our hearts. Let's sing in praise.